Good evening, everyone. Welcome, Chris. Good to see you again. Como estas? So, Nick, come closer, please. question tonight. Chris. Uh, my question is about the nature of consciousness. You can talk about what it's made of, um, how it's working, and what's the relation of consciousness to what we call God, might call God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a, a popular way of talking about consciousness in uh, the different schools of Vedanta, and um, it's kind of a beginning way of talking about it, and that is uh, by talking about that which it's not. And it's useful also because when we seek to define something, then we typically need something to compare it with. Hmm? You look up a word in a dictionary, and the definition is another word, right? The problem with consciousness is that there's nothing like it <laughs> in the world. Um, so what to compare it to? So, again, one of the ways in which it has been described is by talking about what it's not, and that means to talk about matter in its various uh, manifestations. Um, and all of those are said to be, in English phrase, here today and gone tomorrow. It's a world of comings and goings. Even the sun will burn out. All material manifestations are, in that sense, not real. Any more than, for example, you might think your dreams are not real. Just to give it... Maybe they are, but... (laughs) Because of their uh, not enduring in comparison to your experience in the waking state, we tend to give them less credibility. So endurance lends credibility to something. We have the Ivy League schools in America... It means that they're so old, they've been there for so long, that the ivy is growing up the walls. So they've been around a long time, and they're credible, is, is the idea. So endurance gives uh, credibility, it makes it more real in our, to our sensibilities. Hmm? Um, so... However, enduring a particular material manifestation may be, we have the strong sense that it won't endure forever. As I say, the sun will burn out. 
you should carry signs and, and picket and complain that there's a problem, do something about it. The sun is burning out. People will laugh at us, but it, it does speak to the overarching problem that we, all of us, implicitly or explicitly are trying to overcome. In other words, we're surrounded by impermanence, but we resist impermanence. If we were impermanent, maybe we wouldn't resist. Hmm? So the idea is, from schools of Vedanta, that we are of, by contrast, an enduring nature. Consciousness is. We are consciousness. Okay. So, <clears throat> while all manifestations of matter are here today and gone tomorrow, no matter how long they are, hmm, when we invest ourselves in matter, the results that come from that will be temporary. And so, by contrast, we're talking about consciousness indirectly, we're saying it's not like that. It's not temporary. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. In another word, it's eternal. We want to say that it has no end and also that it has no beginning because that which has a beginning has an end. All material manifestations have a beginning and they have an end. That which has an end had a beginning. So if something does not end, then it, it doesn't have a beginning. <laughs> this is the idea. So consciousness has no beginning. Consciousness has no end. Again, we're saying what it's not like. It, it has no beginning. It has no end. We're describing it in a negative way. It's positive, but we're describing it in a negative way. It, uh, um, so it's not like, then, things that are here today and, and gone tomorrow. So it's, 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 it's arguably not a thing. Mm-hmm. Again, when we invest ourselves in matter, we get results, and the results are temporary. Mm-hmm. So, in Sanskrit we'd say the world comings and goings is asat, not real. Not real and asat also mean subject to transformation, to change. The tree becomes the seed, becomes the fruit, becomes the land, uh, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So sat means, by contrast, asat is, the, is matter. Sat means it's enduring, it's not subject to the transformations of birth, growth, Maturation, uh, giving off byproducts, dwindling, dying. Mm-hmm. It's not subject to those transformations. Mm-hmm. While matter is constantly <coughs> transforming, showing different faces and disappearing and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. then there's... Uh, 
amidst all of this flux and change, there's a constant, and the constant is the observer. The constant is the observer. And consciousness is, 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 is such the witness. We're the constant observing factor amidst the ever-changing material phenomenon. We have identified with the changing material phenomena, and so because we're of a, a permanent nature rather than an impermanent nature, we feel troubled by that. Hmm? Because we've identified like in a virtual reality with something that's here today and gone tomorrow, whereas we're not. So as a result, we, f- we feel threatened, we feel subject to, to transformation, change, uh, dying, as may be the case. Hmm. Uh, but again, that's, that is the nature of matter, and not uh, not consciousness. So it's sat. And to go further, matter is also non-experiential. Now there are people in the in the uh, scientific community and Western philosophical community, world community, and say that um, have tried to we have posited and tried to demonstrate unsuccessfully that experience arises out of non-experience, that an experiencing reality comes out of a non-experiencing reality. In other words, they've posited the idea that matter at some point, which is not cognizant, not experiential, combines in a way, somehow, of its own self-organization to suddenly become experiential. Try to look at it evolutionarily uh, and see that at some point in time this complexity of matter was such that experience came out of it. Of course, it's very problematic and to do that, and it's not possible from the point of view of Vedanta, for experience, to put it simply, to arise out of non-experience. For an experiential reality to rise out of a non... Because experiential reality is obviously much more entirely different than an experienced reality that has no capacity to experience. The difference between these two are so vast that evolution, for example, is based on changes that make sense, that are, that are small, incrementally small, for adaption and so forth. I mean, the difference between experience and non-experience, between a, that which I'm knocking on and the knocker, are so, like, categorically different that um, it's very troublesome to think of it from evolving, if you will, and out of what necessity. Experiencing beings have more problems. They have problems like, what is consciousness? Kind of problems. (laughs) Do you understand? (laughs) 
matter doesn't have those kind of problems. How does it help us, in other words, to survive, if you will? Uh, anyway, so, so from the Vedantic point of view and the meditative point of view, the yogic um, worldview, um, consciousness is sat, and it's also chit. Chit means experiential, cognizant, not uh, unknowing, non-experiential, hmm? dead matter. Hmm? So we 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 we. We, we experience matter to be such, hmm? and consciousness is not like that. So if it's not... Uh, and the very word consciousness, I mean, we're limited by language here, implies co- cognizance, awareness. Hmm? When we speak about consciousness, though, it's awareness, it's perception its ability to experience and so forth are are aspects of itself. If we take an example, let's take a light. The light is luminous and it illumines other things. The wall here is illumined. The floor is illumined by consciousness and consciousness is luminous. So it is luminous and it has the power to illuminate. Hmm? So the power to illuminate is what we refer to sometimes as consciousness or perception. Hmm? But there's more to consciousness than perception. Hmm? It's luminous. It's uh, No light can shed light on it. Hmm? A candle cannot light the sun. Hmm? So matter in all of its forms is, is kind of compared to darkness it cannot shed light directly on consciousness hmm? it's enduring it's eternal it's it's cognitive cognizant these are two things sat chit now there's another thing about matter and that is that uh, there is no pleasure in matter In, let's say a non non-experiential stuff there's no pleasure in it hmm? we call it nirananda and in this but the self is this is the or consciousness is the is the center of happiness so let me give you an example you as a conscious being invest yourself in something material hmm and that that material thing gives you pleasure. But I'm saying there's no pleasure in, in matter. So how is it that the material thing is giving you pleasure then? Because you are in it. You invested yourself into it. And now you call it mine. What you really like is yourself. Hmm? Because the self is by nature blissful. Hmm? Matter doesn't have that quality. So when we invest ourselves in matter, matter appears to be uh, something that we can derive happiness from. If my car breaks down, I become unhappy. If I'm driving on the road and yours does, it really doesn't bother me that much. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens. The same, you know, same flat tire, right? <laughs> but you're not. You have not invested yourself in that car. 
So it, it doesn't. So where we invest ourselves determines our the ability to apparently derive happiness or sadness from from matter, but inherently it doesn't have those qualities. It's not happy. Wood's not happy or sad. Stones aren't happy or sad. Hmm. All the physical manifestations they have quantitative measurements uh, in, in in modern science anyway. We look at it a little differently, but in modern science, uh, they uh, are thought to have no, no no feeling. Feeling is the mental. Uh, so now that's another thing. We have physical matter. We have psychic matter. Hmm. Mind. That's not consciousness. What mind is is this Satchitananda consciousness, luminosity, hmm, um, if you will. It reflects onto very refined, fine, subtle manifestation of matter. Hmm? And that matter has the capacity to reflect the quality of consciousness. Hmm? And then it acts in a quasi-conscious-like way. So there's something called psychic matter, and that's where we have all our experiences, right, in the psyche. Hmm? And the reason it has that capacity to, and, and the reason it is identified sometimes as consciousness, mind is consciousness, and so they think, is because it's reflecting actual consciousness, which is not only not a thing, but it's not a thought either. Hmm? So things and thoughts unto themselves cannot shed light on consciousness, which illuminates them. Hmm? They can't illuminate it. Hmm? But mind is such that it could be used spiritually, or it could be drawn by physical matter and implicated in in the material affairs, or it could be in, this is yoga, to capture this subtle mind, and capture it, and then use it as a tool hmm? to to withdraw the self from its identification through the mind with gross matter unto itself and gain release from matter and the physical and psychic matter, from things and thoughts. Hmm? So we're a unit of that consciousness. Rasat, Rachit, Ananda. Another way to talk about it is that we exist. We are... A, we are we, we we know, and we can we can love. Another means to love also. So chit means to know. Sat means to be. Being, knowing, loving. We're a unit. Consciousness is, is individual consciousness is a unit of being, knowing, and loving. So, in a very brief way, we've defined something about consciousness. Now you want to know about its source. As well, right? So, consciousness seems pretty cool the way we talked about it, and superior to matter. Hmm? Matter wouldn't matter if it weren't for consciousness, right? So, consciousness is, is really what matters. But as extraordinary as consciousness is, and unlimitedly more complex than matter. Hmm? 
um, we also find that we ourselves as a unit of consciousness are kind of overwhelmed by matter. Uh, so we've identified with matter, something happens with matter and, and, it, and we think it's happening to us so we're going through these ups and downs and so forth. So the question arises, if we're so great as consciousness, why are we under the influence of matter? Hmm? Right? The answer is that, yes, we're consciousness, but we're only a spark of consciousness. Spark could get obscured from the fire by smoke, or the fire cannot. Hmm? So in this analogy, the fire is the source. We're the spark. The very fact that we are identified with matter and troubled indicates that, that, that we're not the whole show, so to speak. So, rightfully so, as you conjecture, we have a source. So the spark has a source in the fire. And one of the differences between the fire and the spark, of course, is that the fire does not have... Uh, cannot come under the influence of the smoke, just like the sun. The sun is shining. Well, we, on the other hand, experience days when the sun's not shining because clouds have come between the sun and ourselves. We think the sun's not out, but it's out, right? You just got to go high enough, and it's there. It's shining brightly every day. It's bright as ever. But between us and the and, and the sun, some, the cloud comes and can obscure our sense of the sun's uh, existence. <clears throat> so the cloud, this is it, it, Maya, matter. There's subtle. There's a subtle aspect to it. We're talking about it in a gross way, but there's a subtle aspect to it. It has an, a diluting effect, as a as a shakti. <clears throat> so, uh, as I said, it's constantly changing shapes and pretty fascinating actually hmm? so the show if you will of the transformation of matter has captivated us hmm? and we're like watching the show but we don't know the show is going to end and you've got a life independently of the show hmm? so often we need help to come and say hey there's, there's more to life than you know the show there Come out, come out. Hmm? And the show is not always good. Sometimes the team loses, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, so you're riding in the show. You're riding these waves of ups and downs, ups and downs. As good as it gets, is as bad as it gets, and so on and so forth. So, come out. That's just the show of matter. It's fascinating. It's uh, the the glitter, the glare, if you will, has the power to to uh, uh, captivate us because we're small. So um, we need to trace out our connection with our source where we can where we can make that connection and then not be in the predicament that we're presently in. When I was a kid, my brother and I, his birthday today, my older brother, we used to go ice skating, and we were in a, a neighborhood that was very sparsely populated. And there were some older boys, a few years older than us, who used to go there, and they used to, like, bully us. Hmm? 
So one day my father came, and he skated on the pond with us. And then we skated around those boys and made faces at them and so forth. Our position had not changed. We were still smaller, but we were in connection with some higher capital, if you will, and power, and so uh, our position was enhanced. So the idea, in one sense of yoga, is to yoke, to link to our source, um, to be, uh, it also means to be aware, to be aware of our, our source. So the, the, the glare of matter has obscured that, and we're, we're in a particular um, predicament, if you will. Yoga is, is a solution, so it's meant to connect us with our source. And about the source, Again, all about the self. The self is is sat, chit, and ananda. So it, it it it's it's a unit of being, knowing, and loving. Hmm. Now, of these three aspects of ourself, really the loving aspect, the bliss aspect is is most significant because there could be an existence that was not cognizant. There is, right? Matter. It doesn't know itself. But there could not be a knowing existence without existence. So if there's sat, if there's there could be sat. But if there's chit, there has to be sat also. If there's knowing, you have to be also. There could be being without knowing, but there cannot be knowing without being. Do you understand? There could be being that didn't know that it beed. <laughs> but if there's knowing, there has to be being. Right? Now there could be knowing and being, but not necessarily loving. That's for sure. But if there's loving, there has to be knowing and being. Hmm? So really knowing and being, in one sense, are aspects of loving. Hmm? So as the self is made up of being, knowing, and loving, our source is made up of being, knowing, and loving. And there are different manifestations of our source that we can connect with through different yogas. So you can connect with the being aspect, you can connect with the knowing aspect, or you can connect with the loving aspect. Hmm? If you connect with the being aspect, you would really love being. Because connecting with the being aspect of God means that you be forever, and it's blissful, just being. Hmm? So you could really love being like that instead of your present situation you might not always like so much. Hmm? But then there's the loving aspect. Hmm? So the being aspect sometimes is called Brahman. The loving aspect is called Bhagawan. Hmm? So you could love to be, love to exist, or, by contrast, you could exist to love. The latter is more noble and more exciting. Hmm? If you're loving, just consists of the fact that you be, ha, ah, I love that. I don't die. Hmm? I am, I am, I am. Hmm? That's one thing. Relief is one thing. Peace is one thing. Love is another thing. Right? We want peace, which is to stop the war, but more than peace, after a while... <laughs> You want to love, right? So, so the loving aspect of the absolute then 
corresponds with the ananda, really in the full sense of the term, of the atma, of the self, of the unit of consciousness. So in our school, it's a school of bhakti. So bhakti means love. Hmm? So we seek to connect with the, the loving aspect and that kind of being and that kind of knowing. If you have a being and a knowing that's a loving existence, for example, then, then that's the best kind of existence, if you will. Hmm? So as these three are these three kind of elements of the, of the unit of consciousness, being, knowing, and loving. So the absolute is made up of being, knowing, and loving, and it has different faces. So for different types of yoga, for jnana yoga, uh, the ob- object is to uh, merge with the Brahman and be. In uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, Astanga Yoga, the goal is to become cognizant like the Ishwar, hmm? to remove the vrittis from the chitta and and to know. So it's a dualistic system in a positive sense. There's, there's, the, there's, the, there's the yogi and there's the yogishwar, the ishwar. The ishwar is all-knowing. So you identify with the ishwar and you become all-knowing. So omniscience is, is like one of the ideals, of, if you will, of, 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 of yoga. So then in the bhakti school, of course, then there's Bhagwan. Now, what does that mean? Well, Brahman, that they, some seek to merge with, is just like undifferentiated consciousness. Big time. Not a small spark, but just undifferentiated consciousness. So Brahman is, in a sense, the underlying consciousness underlies everything, right? Hmm? If you have an ocean, like here we have the beautiful Pacific Ocean, and um, so, uh, well, Brahman is everywhere. So, um, if you're everywhere, then there's nowhere to go, right? So it just bees. It just is. It just exists. In the yogic ideal of the Paramatma, we're the Atma, and then there's the Paramatma. Paramatma means the Supreme Atma. So the Ishwar. Ishwar means the controller. Hmm? It means he knows everything. He's uh, so this is uh, this is kind of the omniscience of the Absolute personified. Hmm? And um, and the ideal there in that yoga system is is to attain a state of um, Passive adoration, eternal passive adoration. In Catholicism, it's called the beatific vision. To attain the beatific vision, to see God, and you know, not with your material eyes, but with this, the unit of consciousness sees its source, and and in passive ador- adoration lives forever. So there's a, there's some distinction here. In Brahman there's no distinction. There's just consciousness. You merge with the consciousness and you just be. There's nobody else there or nobody to talk to. There's no differentiation. Just eternal being and there's no suffering. No suffering. If you could end all suffering, that could be blissful, but is there anything positive? See, that's the idea. 
So in, from we go, if we go from Brahman to Paramatma, uh, then there's, there's some slight distinction within the realm of consciousness between our source. There's the Ishwar, the Paramatma, and the Atma. And so now we go further to Bhagavan. What we find is, is the, the Godhead who's everywhere is moving. So I've given an example. And if you know everything, if you're omniscient and you're everywhere, you're omnipresent, it could get boring. You already know everything. You're already everywhere. So when you're bored, what do you do? You play. You make up a reality. So that we call lila. This is the movement of the absolute in play. It's not like the movement of this world, which is karmic, and is obligatory, because we're moving because we're being chased by the reactions to our previous movements called karma. So, like, we've got to get going here. Otherwise, we're going to get eaten up by, that, by our past, if you will, coming to the world's response as we plug into it. Um, so to plug, unplug from that and be peaceful, Brahman, Paramatma, this kind of yogas, that'll be good. But now, in bhakti, there's movement within transcendence, movement in relation to the source. Hmm? So the source takes a shape, if you will, to um, in play that enables the finite jiva to interact with it in that in play in that lila, and so in that aspect of the godhead, the godhead has form, has shape. It's it can be described artistically or graphically in a way that will resemble the forms that we're, ex- we're experiencing, but it's, it's not made of the same stuff. Hmm? I mean, what are material forms? When consciousness invests itself in matter, matter takes shape. Like this building. It just didn't come out of nowhere. But consciousness invested itself in the various elements of wood, stone, hmm? fire, and as a result of consciousness investing itself into these inert substances, this form came out, a temple. We're sitting in it. So if consciousness investing itself in matter causes matter to take shape, why not consciousness investing itself in consciousness and consciousness constituted shapes <coughs> hmm? take, uh, are, the, are the result? So just giving some way to think about it. Hmm? So like the form of Krishna, for example, experienced by mystics in, in bhakti, is a form of the absolute in which love has taken a shape to express itself. Hmm? We may think of form as limiting, and we speak about it as such as well, but that doesn't mean there are not forms that are facilitating and not limiting. And here the cup is facilitating. Right? Giving shape to the water. It's not limiting it, now it's facilitating it. Hmm? Um, let's say you have an artistic idea. You want to give it shape, put it on the canvas. Then it's, it, now it's improved, so to speak. Right? Your ideas. So love needs to express itself. So the shape 
of love. Hmm? That's why for Krishna, for example, Krishna, if you study artistically uh, how the absolute Bhagwan in the form of Krishna has been depicted, then you'll find, oh, this is a depiction of 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 love hmm? um, from an Indian aesthetic perspective. They're saying that the form of the Absolute, with the very heart of the Absolute, is loving, and and therefore love takes a shape, and and so on. So, so there's a shape to love, and we, and, and that means that 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 the perfect object of love is the source, and then we are the vessel of love. So we have a shape too. So there's a shape that consciousness can attain for playing in the lila. Hmm? So in a realm, if you will, where we belong beyond time and space, hmm? if we penetrate deeply into consciousness, then there's much more to consciousness than what it's not. It's not this and it's not that. It is. But what its potential is to love, then... If we if we were to explore that, then its possibilities are uh, extraordinary, extraordinary in terms of um, fulfillment for ourselves also. Because really, in this world, we're units of consciousness. We've identified with matter, and we're trying to love. We're trying to be. We're trying to know, and we're trying to love. We don't know that we're a unit of being, knowing, and loving. But if we are to realize the ananda aspect of the self, its its capacity to love, let's say, well, it will certainly be enhanced, that capacity to love and realize its fulfillment if we can find an object to repose the love in. You could say, I love, but if there's nobody to love, I mean, that's pretty abstract. Hmm? So... So we um, follow a tradition in which the saints have experienced the Godhead as like personified love and, and enter into the, the leelas, if you will, of, uh, of Krishna. Hmm? And um, the, as such... We have a whole um, tome, if you will, about ecstasy. Hmm? The Ananda aspect. Hmm? If you look at in Yoga Sutra, Patanjali, Astanga Yoga, or if you look in the, the text of, for Gyan, these are different systems, Gyan, the Yoga of Knowledge, mystical, uh, uh, mystic yoga, um, here we are, Bhakti yoga, the yoga of love, you're not going to find um, much of a of a nuanced um, explanation of ecstasy. But there's good reason for that. Um, again, because if you say, "I love." That's one thing. And we say, I love her. Man, there's a whole story to tell. <laughs> of all the nuances of it, and 
and so forth, right? Yeah. So there's just so many nuances. So one of our books is called Bhakti Rasa Amrita Sindhu. It's an ocean of bhakti rasa. Rasa means this uh, transcendental emotional love and all the different possibilities within that. Uh, different stages of ecstasy, different measures of ecstasy, how the ecstasy plays itself out physically in the form of tears, hair standing on end, uh, trembling, changing complexions, different degrees, and so how it manifests in this body, how it gives rise to an internal meditative body of ecstasy, form of ecstasy, and in, in chanting, so forth, they, they experience this, this, this form and participate um, in uh, reciprocal dealings with the source and so forth, and it's a huge subject matter. So a lot of the schools uh, of Indian thought um, stop here. They say, consciousness is not matter. We started like that. Mm -hmm. But our school says that too, but but then we want to go on from there. And I've given an example before, and I'll conclude with this. The karmic world, where we're invested in matter, and we've taken from the world because we feel like we need, we need to be, Uh uh-oh, if I don't do something, I might not exist here. We don't know that you're a unit of existence, so we try to exist in relation to matter, so we have to take from the world to get some security. But as much as you take, as much as you owe. So the karma comes around and is chasing you, as I said. Hmm. So this karmic life and movement is like living in negative numbers. The more you move, the more you go down. The more you take, the more you owe. Some schools of yoga say, stop taking and you'll be peaceful. Come from negative numbers to zero. So zero has a positive connotation when compared to negative numbers. Hmm? Do you understand? So most schools, they stop at zero and they go, it's good to get out of that karma. We're done. Finished. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Peace, peace, peace. But we, our tradition poses the question, wait a minute. Are there any positive numbers? What's that about? And people go, shh. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's because it's, zero itself is staggering. Yeah. Hmm? What is, what is the, to attain zero, if you will, in my analogy, is, is, is staggering. It will, it will stop. You know, you, 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 you will be hard to catch your breath. Right? But the, uh, in our school, which is an old, old school. It's a deep breath, but a, a very, po- very, very provocative question. It seeks to, now to plumb the depths of the realm of consciousness and the source and all the possibilities there. So that's my brief answer to your, your question. Think about it. Yeah. What's the time now? 725. Not much time to answer another question. How long will you be with us? How long will you be with us? Tonight. Tonight you'll stay? Tomorrow? I'll come, hmm? I'll come again. You'll come again. But tomorrow you're going back to yeah. summer. Are you yeah. staying at summer now? Yeah, yeah, okay. Renting there? Mm-hmm. Everything going well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Community there? Nice community? People a little spread out? Based out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay. I love working on it. You can space in here. Space in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Sisi, Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara Kija, Kaur Bhakti Vrinda Kija.